Hello again, Edwin Crozier here from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word to learn how to better serve and glorify Him. Today I want to take a look at two historical Bible characters. As we look at the big picture of their lives, we would probably say that there are no two people more different than David and Ahab. Yet, when we take a look at some of their sins we actually find out that there are no two people more alike. Yet we both know which one of these men we want to be on the Day of Judgment. Today we want to take a look at how they were similar, but also how they were different, and why we want to be like David and not like Ahab. Open your Bibles and let's learn. David or Ahab, what are the differences? Last week, while discussing my kids' Bible class lessons with them, talking to Tessa and to Ethan, Tessa was studying the story of David and Bathsheba. Ethan was getting prepared to study the story about Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. And when we take a look back just in the big picture, just looking back through history and all the things that we know about and the Bible stories that we're aware of, we might not think a whole lot about David and Ahab and any type of connection or comparison they might have. But when you lay them just right next to each other like that, looking at the story of David and Bathsheba and Ahab and Naboth, it's amazing that we find out that these two are just, in those scenarios, are just almost exactly alike. So much so that by the time we're done, we're going to be wondering, well, what's the difference between these two guys? And now I know which one of these two men I want to be when I stand before God in judgment. And yet, when I look at these two stories, they look almost exactly the same. And so this morning, we want to take a look at a comparison and contrast, how they were similar, and yet what made them different, and which one we really do want to be like, and why. Before we do that, would you please bow with me? Amazing Heavenly Father, we are in awe at Your power and Your might. And mostly, we are amazed at Your grace and Your mercy. And we're thankful, Father, that despite our sins and the judgment that You have outlined against them, that You have sent Your Son to die for us so that those sins can be removed, that we can be in Your kingdom and in Your family, that we can be holy and blameless in Your sight. And Father, we pray that You would help us always to focus on the cross of Your Son, to remember the sacrifice that You, that He gave for us. And we pray that we might sacrifice ourselves for You as well. We pray that you would strengthen us to understand the difference between these two men and that we would be like David, who was a man after your own heart. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to glorify and honor you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. As we take a look at these two fellows and ask the question, what's the difference? We want to begin by noticing exactly how alike these two men were. The very first thing that we'll notice is that these two men both coveted what belonged to another. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, we find the story of David and Bathsheba and what happened there. And then in 1 Kings chapter 21, we find out about Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. We're going to be looking back and forth in those two passages. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. 
Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David looked down upon this woman, another man's wife. And he coveted what belonged to another. But we'll take a look in 1 Kings chapter 21. And we find that Ahab did exactly the same thing. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it, than it in its place. If you like, I'll give you the price of it in money. So here were David looking upon another man's wife. Ahab looking upon another man's vineyard. They coveted it. They wanted it. I also think it's just an interesting parallel that the text is very specific to point out to us that they saw what they coveted from their palace. Remember there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2, David had arisen from bed and was in his house on the roof and was looking down from the palace. There in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 1, very specific, this vineyard is just next to the palace. Both of these men, there in their homes, looking out, see something that belongs to another man, and they want it. They coveted it. We continue on with the comparison and we find out that both of them already had what they were coveting. If we look in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, we find out about David as far as wives go. David had plenty of wives. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now these were the sons of David who were born to him at Hebron. This is what happened before he ever got to Jerusalem. While they were born to him at Hebron, there was the firstborn Amnon, by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. The second was Daniel by Abigail, the Carmelitess. The third was Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah by Abital. The sixth was Ithreem by his wife Eglah. Six were born to him in Hebron. See, these were all kids who were born to him by wives that he already had in Hebron before he ever got to Jerusalem, before he ever had that palace built, the house there, before he ever looked down and saw Bathsheba. These women were already his wives. He already had wives. And then we take a look at Ahab there in 1 Kings chapter 21. And notice what he said in verse 2, Give me your vineyard that I may have it as a vegetable garden. And he said, I'll give you a better vineyard in its place. He already had vineyards. He didn't need this vineyard. He just wanted this one because it was so close. He was willing to even give one away, to give it to him. He was willing to pay for it, but he coveted it. He wanted it. He already had one of his own, just like David. But both of them wanted it so bad that they were willing to sin for it. And in the end, both of them killed in order to get what they wanted. If you look in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 14, now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell and Uriah the Hittite also died. 
Very interestingly, as Joab sends the messenger back to David, he says, now look, when David asks you why we got so close to the wall, because we know that's a bad idea to do that, you tell him, hey David, Uriah died also. David killed Uriah because of his sin and his coveting with Bathsheba. But we take a look in 1 Kings chapter 21. And Ahab becomes very despondent and dispirited and distressed because he can't have this vineyard because Naboth says no and his wife hears him crying and whining and moaning about it. And she says, well, you just hold on. And she develops a plan. And in verse 8 of 1 Kings 21, So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who lived in this city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. And they sent word to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. Now I know that some of us are going to say, well, that wasn't Ahab, that was Jezebel. However, I just want you to notice God's take on this whole thing. If you look down in verse 19, as he sends his prophet to him, he says, You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and taken possession? Certainly God recognized that Ahab could have come between Jezebel and her plot. And so the murder of Naboth, God pinned on Ahab. Both of them killed in order to have what they coveted. In both cases, God sent a prophet in order to rebuke these men for their sins. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, and verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And we know the rest of the story. David gets angry and sets forth this great punishment, and then Nathan looks at him and says, You are the man. In 1 Kings chapter 21, we've already noticed this. God sent the prophet to Ahab, beginning in verse 17 in 1 Kings 21. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him. And goes on with the judgment. And in fact, that's the very next parallel. They're rebuked by a prophet, and God has set forth a judgment for both of them, a punishment that is going to fall on their household. In Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, 
God through Nathan said to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. And then with Ahab, in 1 Kings chapter 21, Elijah speaks to him beginning in verse 21. And he says, Behold, I'll bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I'll make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel his wife incited him. God's prophet came to both of them and said, Here are the judgments that are going to fall upon you and upon your household. But then something amazing happens. Both men repented. Well, how about that? We left one off. Both men repented. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning at verse 27, it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Both men repented. And God forgave both. How amazing is that? And so, we're left to ask the question, what's the difference? I mean, when you take a look at these two stories, David and Ahab are just alike. They're both men who sinned. They're both men that God rebuked. They're both men that God said He was going to punish. They're both men that repented. And both men that God forgave. But as I said in the introduction, i got to tell you, I know which one of them I want to be when they're actually standing before God in judgment. I don't want to be Ahab. I want to be David. And I know which one you want to be. Because when we take a look at what the entire Bible says about these men, we know that it says David was a man after God's own heart and Ahab was a wicked man. But when we look at these two scenarios, we have to wonder why does the Bible describe them so differently? And as we look at it, I think we find two major differences between these men. Two major differences that make all the difference in the world. Two things in David that we need to emulate and two things in Ahab that we need to put far away from us. The very first thing that we need to remember, the first difference, is that with David... Ahab. See, they're just so much alike, their names just even flow together. That with David, his repentance affected him permanently. 
Ahab's repentance did not affect him permanently. We take a look at David and there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 15, Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. We know the story. He fasts and he prays and he fasts and he prays and he won't eat and then suddenly the child dies. And the servants are afraid to tell him that the child died because if David acted like this while the child was just sick, what will he do to himself when the child is dead? But David noticed it. And in verse 20, after finding out that the child was dead, David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And his servants asked him and said, What is this thing that you've done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will not return to me. When the punishment of God came upon him for his sin, David accepted it. When the child died and and God didn't pay attention to David's fasting and weeping and praying, David didn't turn away from God. David continued to serve God and he accepted Him. But it wasn't just at that moment. If you take a look in 2 Samuel chapter 16, remember what God said was going to happen to David. He said there was going to come up one in his own house that was going to come against him. He'd be able to have David's wives in front of the whole world. And that's exactly what happened. His son Absalom came up and rebelled against him. But very interestingly, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5, when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you're taken and you're evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way. David recognized what was happening. David recognized the judgment that God had pronounced against him. And he saw that occurring here. And so as this other person is cursing David, He's willing to say, we've got to leave this up to God. We've got to, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Perhaps God told him to curse me as well. Perhaps this is just all part of God's plan. And maybe God will see how I'm acting and He'll provide blessing on me. You see, David repented. And his repentance was something that affected him for his entire life. As he continued on to serve God, turning away from that sin as he accepted the punishment that God sent upon him, lest the Gentiles might blaspheme. But Ahab's story is quite different. We recognize in 1 Kings that Ahab's problem initially was idolatry. If you look over in 1 Kings chapter 16, in 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning at verse 29, 
Now Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa king of Judah. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel the Bethlehite built Jericho. Ahab was an idol worshiper. He didn't just follow in Jeroboam's shoes and have these idols at Bethel and Dan. He even built a temple to Asherah and a house for Baal. He was an idolater. And then when this scenario occurred and God rebuked him and he repented and he turned back to God, it wasn't a full devotion to God. He didn't submit wholly to God. In fact, after the whole story of Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings 21, we come to 1 Kings 22 and we find that Ahab and Jehoshaphat are conspiring together in order to attack the enemy. And Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 22 and verse 5 says, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord, the word of Jehovah. And so the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now that sounds good, because if we just stop there, it sounds like Ahab is calling on Jehovah as well. But Jehoshaphat noticed something about these 400 prophets. All these prophets said, let's go on up. But notice what Jehoshaphat says in verse 7. Is there not yet a prophet of Jehovah here that we might inquire of him? Here are these 400 prophets and not a single one of them are a prophet of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat is able to tell. You see, Ahab, despite his repentance over this one sin, continued in his great sin of idolatry. And as we take a look at David and Ahab and the difference, we see the difference between how they repented. We see the difference in what they thought of God's people and God's messengers. There in First Chronicles chapter 3, in First Chronicles chapter 3, when we listed those sons and wives of David, we didn't read all the way down into verse 5, but I want you to notice in First Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 5, there were born to him in Jerusalem Shimea, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathsheba, which is another name for Bathsheba, by the way. Now, I find it very interesting that the third child between David and Bathsheba was named after the prophet who came to David and said, you're the man. I think that tells us something. It's subtle, but I think it tells us something about the relationship David had with the messenger of God. That's how much this message impacted him. He even named a child after the man who gave it to him. But, but in 1 Kings 22, when Jehoshaphat looks for a prophet of the Lord... In 1 Kings 22 and verse 8, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he doesn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil. See, Nathan prophesied evil concerning David, but David turned around and named one of his kids after him. Micaiah prophesies evil about Ahab, but instead of repenting and just doing what God says, he says, I hate the guy. I can't stand him. He doesn't ever say anything good about me. Why do we have to call him? You see the difference between these two men? David's repentance affected him permanently. Ahab's did not. We need to follow after David. We've all sinned just like David and Ahab. In fact, when we take a look at these two men, we're just like them. 
whether it's been coveting or some other sin, we've done something to deny God and go against His will. And when we repent, it needs to be something that impacts us and affects us permanently. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 shows those very first Christians and the repentance that they had and the devotion to Christ and to His will that they had. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They had learned of their sins. They had learned of the salvation that came through Jesus. And they repented. They turned completely and devoted themselves to God. But the second difference that we see between these two men is that David's sin was an incident in his life. Ahab's was a habit. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, as Samuel was talking to Saul about the new king that would come up, we know it's David after we've read the whole story, but he says in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, the Lord has sought out for Himself a man after His own heart. This was the kind of man David was. He was a man after God's own heart. And we know the story of David from the time that he had faith in God to deliver him from Goliath all the way up to the time he had faith in God to deliver him from Saul, to the time that he had faith in God to deliver him from Absalom. We've read the story of David. And we know that his life in general was one of submission to God. One in which he would not even stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed when the Lord's anointed was seeking to kill him. That's how much faith he had in God and that's how willing he was to submit to God. David's life was one of service to God. And when we look at his sin, we find that it was the exception in his life. It was not the rule. But in Ahab's life, we find that sin was not the exception. Sin was the habit. Sin was the rule. We read just moments ago the, how the reign of Ahab started off there in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who went before him. And that's pretty stout considering the fact that they said the same thing about his dad Omri. They did evil more than all who went before him. Ahab went further. And there in 1 Kings chapter 21, as it was commenting on this particular sin, in verse 25, 1 Kings 21 and 25, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel his wife incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. Ahab was a wicked man, an idolater, and a sinner. It was his habit. And it continued on even after this sin. Ahab, sure, Ahab did something right, just like all people do. Everybody does something right. But doing what was right for Ahab was the exception. For David, doing what was wrong was the exception. Both of them were sinners. But both of them were not the same in their sins. An illustration that I often use is painting. There are some people that we call painters. And they're painters because that's their life's work. That's how they make their money. They get up in the morning at whatever time they get up and they go and they start painting. And when they get done painting, they go home and eat and go to bed and they get up the next morning and they go start painting again. Isn't that right, Mark? I mean, we've got one right here. Alright? Mark is a painter. Now, there's also the kind of painter who is a painter because they have painted before and probably will paint again. I have, regrettably, painted before. And even more regrettably, we'll probably have to do it again someday. In that sense, I am a painter. But am I the same kind of painter that Mark is? Absolutely not. That's why when Marita wanted our dining room painted, I called Mark. 
because uh, it's completely different. And we see that same thing when it comes to being a sinner. There's the person who is like Ahab, who is a sinner because that's their life. That's what they do. They sin. I mean, every once in a while they might do right and feel bad about it and repent, but mostly their life is they sin. Then there are those who, they, they're sinners because yes, they have sinned. And yes, probably will sin again. But they've made a break from that life as a whole. They're no longer satisfied with being sinners, but they're turning away from that and putting sin away from them. And that's the kind of man David was. That's the kind of thing Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He goes on in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Paul is talking about this new person who has died to sin and will no longer allow sin to be a master over them. Are these people going to sin again? Probably. And Paul recognized that. But what he was saying was, don't go back into that sin. Don't, don't just be satisfied with living in sin. Don't think it's okay to just sin. And don't think it's okay that, well, all these are just small sins. He says, we're supposed to crucify that, sacrifice that, and follow after God's will. John talked about it in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, the text there says, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is, of, is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18 says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we've got to understand the context of this letter to understand these passages. John was writing and he was attacking a false doctrine that had been prevalent in that day, and it was the doctrine of the Gnostics. The Gnostics said that the flesh is just sinful, and there's not anything you can do about it. Now, you might have heard it today in its modern version, oh, we're only human. And that was basically what their doctrine was. Oh, we're only human. And this human flesh, it can't do anything but sin. And so even though we're Christians and children of God, we just can't help that body. It's just sinful and it's always attacking us and it just sins. But we're going to keep our minds right. And so John was attacking that doctrine that said that really sinning with the flesh just doesn't matter. 
And as he wrote these passages, the terms there are terms that are talking about continuous action. The one who practices sin. He's not saying that everyone who's born of God never ever sins at one moment. He says this idea of practicing sin. Because that's what the Gnostics did. They were a continual practice of sin. Because they said, oh, we can't help it. We're only human. He said that nobody who's born of God does that. The person who's born of God is turning their back on sin. And we see the difference. Ahab was a fellow who didn't turn his back on sin. He just continued in sin. But David turned his back on it. Sin was the exception in his life. As we take a look at John, we know he's not saying that they never ever sinned. Because then in 1 John chapter 1, where he talked in verse 8 through 10, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So he sets the stage for everything that he's going to write. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not talking about somebody saying that they've never ever sinned. He said, if I were to say that, I'd be lying. But he's talking about this difference between the person who continues in sin and the person who's turning away from sin. And in verse 6 and 7 of 1 John 1, he talked about that. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that's the question. You see, David walked in the light. No doubt David, especially with Bathsheba, did something wrong. But that was the exception. That wasn't the rule. Ahab, however walked in darkness. His foray into the light with that repentance was one instance in his life, but it didn't affect him permanently. That's the difference between these two men. And so, as we take a look at these two men, we have to ask the question, which one will we be? Are we going to be the person who sure had a moment of repentance, but doesn't allow it to impact us permanently? Are we going to be the person who says, yes, I, I, okay, I serve the Lord, I'm sorry, and we might even do some amazing things like fast and weep and cry, but then just go right back into our sins and, oh, I'm only human? Are we going to be the kind of person that turns away from sin? I tell you what, this is, as we take a look at these stories, they're really kind of amazing because they show the two people that we can be. We can look at David and see here's a man after God's own heart and a lot of times we think we just can't be that man. And yet look at the kind of man he was. He was just like us. He had desires that sometimes he fulfilled sinfully and yet God forgave him because he was the kind of person that turned to him. We can do that just like David did. Or we can say to ourselves, I can't be like David and end up like Ahab. Which one do you want to be? I hope this lesson was beneficial to you as we compared and contrasted David and Ahab, specifically the sins they committed, David regarding Bathsheba, Ahab regarding Naboth's vineyard. Let's remember what we learned today, the similarities between these two men. Both coveted what belonged to another man. Both saw what they coveted from their palace. Both already owned what they coveted. Both killed in order to receive what they coveted. God sent a prophet to both. Judgment was pronounced on both and on their households. Both repented. But there was a difference. And you and I both know we want to be David and not Ahab in the day of judgment. Why? Two major differences. First, David's repentance impacted him permanently. Second, for David... Sin was an exception. Serving God was the rule. For Ahab, 
Repenting was the exception, but sin was the rule. I hope this comparison and contrast has helped you want to be more like Christ, has helped you desire to overcome sin in your life, to follow the example of David. Let me remind you what we pointed out at the very end of that sermon. We can be like David. Just because we've sinned doesn't mean that we have to spend eternity in hell. Jesus Christ died so that we could be forgiven. Let's turn away from sin. Let's submit to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about David or Ahab, about submitting to Jesus Christ, or about the Franklin Church, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson, let me encourage you to head to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons that you can download, both in audio and outline format. You're free to study and use those in any way that you believe will glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.